Hi everyone, I'm really pleased to be speaking this week, uh, continuing to press it into rhythms and focusing on our monthly rhythm, particularly of prayer at home. So we'll do a whistle stop tour on what prayer is and we will also focus particularly on what our monthly rhythm at hope is under the, the banner of one church one day. I'm filming at home today and if you hear some sort of heavy rain sounding that taps that is actually Jemima upstairs using a typewriter. She wanted a typewriter for her birthday and we gave her one and she uh, uses it to type manually which is absolutely brilliant so that that's the noise above and if anyone bursts in it might be Benj trying to avoid bedtime so that that might be some features to this talk anyway I wanted to start with um I've shared this with some of you before an analogy of how I think covenant with Jesus works and it was a bit like me at university playing table tennis I'm really bad at table uh no is it table tennis no, table football, table football, not table tennis. I'm really bad at table football. And it's one of those things where I'm sure there's improvement, but for some reason, my coordination isn't, and table football aren't like a thing. Anyway, I would partner with Chris um, playing doubles table football, and he's absolutely brilliant at it. And so what would happen is, even though I was rubbish, because he was so good, he'd always win for the both of us. And it almost didn't really matter whether I was there or not in terms of he'd still be able to win, even when I was trying my best or when I wasn't great or possibly even slightly sabotaging because he was so good. And I think that's kind of a picture of what it is to work in partnership with Jesus. Jesus is so good. He is so full of life. He's so able to do everything well and bring everything to new creation that even if we're great, if we're not so great, if we're rubbish and even at times when we actively sabotage things, he still will win everything through to new creation. He will, we, we are still on the winning side and he does all the heavy lifting. And I think that's a brilliant, brilliant posture or idea or way to think about prayer. Not as something we have to drum in, but something we get to play with we we get to participate in to inaugurate new creation absolutely incredible privilege and a lot of joy and humility involved as we acknowledge our limitations and then we see god do what we could never do for ourselves so that with that in mind i just do a little whistle stop tour on really what the biblical narrative is all about is an invitation to partnership with god right there in those first opening narratives we have humans at images we bear the image of god we're his delegated representatives on earth to steward his creation and we are particular and we were given a choice to rule in our own wisdom or and redefine good and evil on our own terms or partner with god in stewarding in his wisdom tragically we chose to rule on our own wisdom, to, to operate in independence, and that opened the door for, for death and destruction to come into every aspect of what it is to be human. But we hear and feel this repeated invitation and call to partnership. God does not, um, despite all his grief over how violent humans, humans have become, he still doesn't give up on the project of restoring humanity 
and he, there are these amazing characters who are very, very dif distinct, but also have that shared similarity of a call to intimacy and partnership with God. Uh, in the pattern, if you like, of Adam and Eve, there's, there's people like Noah who, who inaugurates, in a sense, God uses him to inaugurate a new creation narrative, a new mountain garden, um, really playing through the days of, of Genesis 1 again, as the waters part and dry land appears and he's blessed to multiply and fill the earth again. And then there's an, another uh, man, Abraham, is called with his wife Sarah out of the scattered post-Babel nations, out of that place of exile into a promised land like an Eden place, a fresh union and harmony with God. And then there's Moses, who's called by God, again, a new creation narrative to split the seas and lead people into to use God splits the seas, but he then leads people true to life on the dry land, which is symbolic of security and identity in God instead of the chaos waters of the sea. And then another man called David, who, who has a blueprint of a temple on a mountain city called Jerusalem, again, imaged, inspired to bring a new Eden, heaven, to earth again and you see this repeated pattern in large and small ways in the Hebrew Bible of God continuing to pursue intimacy and partnership with person after person after person and recovering that place of Eden or the promised land which is union with God and stewarding the world according to, to his wisdom. And tragically we see also in all these characters massive failure none of them can do fulfill that role perfectly and they're, and they're emerges this prophetic figure, this silhouette, you've heard me speak about this before, of a human who will do for us what we could never do for ourselves, who will be that appointed, designated, divine representative to steward creation in partnership and intimacy with God and image him perfectly on earth. And that is the sort of the end point, the longing, if you like, of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, is that that point of waiting, of yearning, of longing for a, an anointed one, which is literally in Hebrew, Mashiach, or in English, Messiah, a Christos in the, in the Greek, an anointed one who will do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And the claim of the New Testament writers, who are almost all Jewish, is that the, the historical person of Jesus, or actually in his 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 Jewish name would probably be more like Yeshua, which means salvation, or Joshua, Jesse, of Nazareth, that historical figure who was physically died, he was crucified under Roman law, buried and physically raised from the dead. It absolutely fulfills that silhouette and is the Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed human who has gone through death and inaugurated new creation, partnering, inviting us into that partnership that we could never get on our own terms and in our own strength. He does all the heavy lifting and he invites us to participate in that work with him, both in this age and in the age to come. He covers all our inner errors, all our incompetencies, and the only, the only born, if you like, left in our court is our consent. We, it's purely invitational and we get to say, yes, we want partnership, we want to play. He's doing the work and we get to join in. So that's really all prayer is, is partnership with God, is saying yes to what he's doing and partnering with him in bringing about his good governance on earth as it already is in heaven. 
someone was praying for me the other day and they had the analogy of my resistance. I find it really hard to just be still and kind of wait on God. I know it's like a really spiritual thing that people should do. And I'm just like so twitchy, <laughs> just want to crack on with stuff. And I was like, oh, I know that he's leading me into more place of stillness and abiding. And um, this person had a brilliant picture for me of like cold water swimming, outdoor, like wild swimming. And that sense of it never feels the most inviting. Well, some people it's really inviting, let's face it. But for most people, it never feels the most inviting. But actually, it is always so good for us. We never regret it. And, and but they didn't know. But actually, that was my experience this summer, probably for the first time in my life. So if they'd given that prophetic word even last year, it wouldn't have resonated as much. But I, every day, it, when we're in the Silly Isles and in Cornwall, is kind of choosing to just go in and fully embrace um, swimming in outdoors, Quarry Lake, the sea and so on, uh, in a wetsuit, of course. And um, I never, ever regretted it. It was always an, a choice, but I never regretted it. And I thought, wow, that's God saying to me, being in him, abiding in him, setting time, aside time to wait on him and connect with him. Yes, it does require a sort of an overcoming almost of my own resistance. It doesn't even really make sense, but it will never, ever um, I will never ever regret it. It will always kind of deliver life. So that was a real encouragement. And I, f I feel like this is a kind of definition of prayer that I've come up with. Prayer is our conscious assent to our union with Jesus, out of which flows the change we want to see in the world. Prayer is the posture of agreement with our position of authority in Jesus over the heavenly and earthly realms. So it's not even so much, uh, there's no striving at all. It's actually just an agreement and conscious assent. It's just saying, yes, I'm in, I'm into partnership. It's a position of faith, not works in the old nature understanding of works where we have to sort of build it up somehow. And there are incredible promises about prayer in the Bible. Absolutely extraordinary. I'm going to read some of them now. And they really are about this sense of, um, the balance between just simple power of agreement with who we are in Christ, our, our delegated authority now to steward not only over the earthly realm as in the original Eden, but in, in new creation over the heavenly realms as well. In, in Christ, we're seated with him. And it's also out of that position, we, we have authority and we can also request, we can ask for anything. And I'm just going to read some of these verses. So just enjoy just hearing hearing some of the promises Jesus and his followers give in the in the New Testament writings about what prayer is for those of us who follow Jesus, who stand in that position of faith and assent. So Luke 11, I'm actually going to read, this is going to be the, base, the basis, and then I'm going to read some verses after that, but this is going to be like a big chunk. It's from Luke 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. 
a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There are just a few bits I absolutely love about that. In that, if, if you like that sort of literary unit, there it begins and ends with a, a key word, father. And father's quite a formal word in English. And we might talk about our fathers or we might use that as a, more of a, like a biological term. But there doesn't feel much relational intimacy in that term. We may, in our actual lives, talk about dad or daddy, but and that kind of feels almost too informal. I was rather touched when I lived in Israel about 20 years ago, hearing uh, young Israeli children on the beach in Tel Aviv as I would go for a walk, cry literally, Abba, Abba, to their fathers. And I felt that was probably a, the right balance of both intimacy, relational intimacy, but also honour and respect. I think I know some people use words like Papa to try and in their relationship with God to try and express that balance. So that said, that, that father probably isn't quite the right word and we need to find our own language to balance honour and to, and relational intimacy. But that is the the kind of the beginning and the end of that narrative begins in, in we in we address God as father and we end and Jesus ends with how much more will your father in heaven, who, who it will give you the Holy Spirit, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And I just love that. And the thing I absolutely love in the middle of the phrase in this particular version is shameless audacity, is that idea that God's, God isn't going to judge us for what we pray for. He, he is happy to be offended by our shameless audacity. So to kind of start to... Um, almost be inspired by the level of things we can pray for and the level of things that are available for us who believe and start to move into some of those things. A few weeks ago, Andrew Stans, we had the prophetic word that we're moving into a new season of miracles. And I think part of the shameless audacity is starting to ask for things which feel impossible, which feel we shouldn't really ask for, are too good to be true. But this passage clearly Jesus is authorising and permitting us to live that life where we start to ask with shameless audacity for good things in our lives with the promise that we, we want good things. Humans who are really, really poor parents at the best of time will try and do the right thing by their children on the whole. How much more will our, our Heavenly Father, our, our Abba, want to, to give us abundantly what we need and what will bless us? So I love that. And that's kind of going to be the paradigm of that relational intimacy that, that we can now hear these other verses. Again, the whole of John 15, Jesus brings this beautiful image of a vine on the eve of his crucifixion. Incredible capacity to 
to, to still steward his words and still serve and still think of those around him and knowing even what he was walking into and this idea that he's the vine and we're the branches and he says incredible promises like you didn't choose me but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name the father will give you this is my command love each other just incredibly expansive promise and again just before that John 14 12 to 14 whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the father may be glorified in the son you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it and it's really important to pay attention to repetition that that phrase is repeated twice then it's repeated in John 15 and now again in John 16, 23 to 24, in that day, you will no longer ask me. Very truly, I tell you, the Father, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And I love how um, Bill Johnson talked about this in a, a talk I heard a while ago. He says there is such joy and I've experienced this in my own life when you ask God for something and you receive it. There's a, just such a breakthrough into joy because, you know, more than almost that prayer being answered, you have intimacy with God. The father is there, the connection's there that you can ask God anything. You see it happen. And then there's, like, there's such a wow factor in having prayers answered. There's a completeness of joy that comes because either intimacy with God is the thing we crave more than anything else. And to know that he heard and he answered and he moved things and changed things. It just it's just such an injection of joy because we know we're on the right path. We're deeply loved and God is able and to move on our behalf and deeply cares about what we ask him for and is able to change things as a result. Incredible. And then we see the witness of the early church in, in Acts. Um, their, their kind of heart and their passion and their realignment of their lives around God and this is what we're kind of emphasizing and pushing into in our rhythms is just pushing into realigning our lives around seeking first God's kingdom both as individuals and as a community small household community and a larger community and on a daily weekly monthly annual basis there's this idea of devotion and it says here they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship which is is community to the breaking of bread and to prayer signs wonders they had everything in common sold possessions so there were no needy persons among them and they met every day in their temple and in their home and every day the lord added to their number those who were being restored absolutely beautiful and we can feel that devotion and that realignment of their lives around god and pursuing his purposes on earth and then these lovely letters at the end written by these believers, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 17, he said, and this is lovely, if anyone ever wants to know what's God's will for my life, this is a really precise answer to what God's will for our lives is. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'm just going to say that again, if we do nothing else with our life, this will absolutely fulfil us, expand us and lead us where God would have us be. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, 
for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And just to put you in a little bit of context there, because it's really important we don't take verses out of context. It's not like a, the Bible isn't a sort of a cherry picking moment of all the nice things. That church in Thessalonica, Paul planted and within three weeks he was persecuted out of the city. So it's a very fledgling church. He writes a letter back. We only get to read his side. When you're reading Paul's letters or any letters in the New Testament, you're reading someone else's mail. Um, that you don't know the other side to, you have to piece it together. It's a brilliantly fun jigsaw puzzle. You're also reading to an ancient context and reading uh, originally in another language. And I love that in that context of persecution, in that context of being left by the person and the, co the colleagues, the group of people that had founded the community, Paul still exhorted them to rejoice always. No self-pity, no victim. They're able to overcome. They're able to grow and flourish as a community. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances to this baby fledgling church. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I love that we're celebrating Thanksgiving. Um, this podcast comes out on the Wednesday. Some of you might already be listening to it on the Wednesday, but for those of you who haven't, we're um, tomorrow. We're, we're doing our, our Thanksgiving, so maybe for some of you, you're listening back after Thursday um, and we are taking and making it our own annual feast at Hope that is representative of just an evening to give thanks to God, to remember all that he's done. And we, we're doing it scattered in households, which is really exciting, an opportunity to build community and get to know each other and remember who God is. So in that, we're fulfilling you know, some of this, this exhortation by Paul, give thanks in all circumstances. And so we bless that evening. And those who are listening today, Wednesday, and have not, weren't able to sign up by Monday, I'm sure if you're really desperate to come to someone to be hosted, just let us know because we don't want anyone to miss out. And thank you so much for everyone who's offered to host and for everyone who said, yeah, we'd love to attend. So that's a really exciting opportunity to be thankful as Paul's encouraging us to do here. And then a lovely feisty <laughs> exhortation from James. It's just one of my favourite books in the Bible, a letter by uh, one of Jesus's half-brothers, actually, which is amazing. And he says, quite simply, you don't have because you don't ask God. We can ask God for things. We don't have to be in a, a, po a poverty spirit or that's not for me or a mindset of diminishment or or under underplaying what God's goodness looks like in our life or false modesty we can have because we can ask God. And then this beautiful image at the end of the last letter in the Bible written by John in his old age in a, in a, in a sort of a genre, a, a visionary genre called Apocalypse where if you like, there's an unveiling of who we are, of who Jesus is, the unseen realm and the, how, the, how the age ends, which was common practice for Jewish writings in the first century. The angel was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God. This, just this beautiful image of every prayer goes up like incense like an offering before God he 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 hears every prayer it, it it is presented before him he is not unable to to hear what we want to bring to him what what is concerns us and what's on our hearts now to bring that all into land that general uh, brief look at prayer 
our partnership with God, that invitation to intimacy with God. I want to trace our specific calling at Hope. One of our four dreams is to be a place of prayer in for Hope is a place of prayer in the city of Bristol and, and, and for the region beyond. And in November 2018, Silas and Annie had just stepped off uh, their paid role as pastors after 18 years as founders of Hope Chapel, Hope Community Church in its kind of modern form, because they felt God had called them uh, to, to raise a canopy of prayer in a very specific way called One Church One Day, where a minimum of 30, 31 churches each takes one 24-hour period uh, a month, and in that way there is a canopy of prayer raised by churches over over Bristol and the region. And I thought, that sounds absolutely lovely. What a lovely idea to have prayer ongoing, as, as Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians, continual prayer over the city and the region. What, what a lovely idea, I remember thinking in the autumn of 2018. And totally not really relevant to me, um, but happy for it to happen. What, 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 what's not to like about people raising a canopy of prayer? Prayer had been complex for me for various reasons to do with my, um, to do with metrics, old kind of metrics about success and failure and striving and so on. And so I'd, and tied up with dysfunctional behaviours. So for a very long time, I've withdrawn from any idea of prayer. Ah, oh, just had some typing. That was pretty cool. Um, but bang in the middle of a service on in November 2018 when this came up again I felt God say I want you to mobilize this in hope I want you to mobilize one church one day in hope and and build on that Tuesday prayer morning that Silas and Annie had been developing over many years and I just knew he'd called me to do it and it was so liberating and refreshing given my backstory that he would trust me with something like that and trust us as a, as a community with something like that. So we started 2019 and, and we initially wanted to just build it like slowly but surely. So we did 10 months in the year, so it had January off and August off and, and made sure that everyone felt fully uh, released to, to in, into, a, into whichever hour they wanted to do and they had full ownership of the style and the way they wanted to do it and it would be fully released at the end of each calendar year. And that seemed to really work and there seemed to be an ease to it. It almost felt easier than like a normal prayer meeting, partly because of ownership and obviously there's much more flexibility with style and with time. And partly it just felt like God's, God's breath was on it. There was an ease to it. And then what was amazing was when we hit the pandemic in March 2020 and we transitioned the whole thing onto Zoom, that was already in place. So we were able to keep this prayer going through that intense, like the, the next sort of 18 months of that intense kind of period online. And then slowly now are kind of in a hybrid where people are choosing, they can choose to do it online or they can do it in person, either in prayer walks. We had some outside meetings and also in the prayer centre and what we felt trying to pay attention to what God was doing that it's really important that everyone has personal ownership 
that um, that some slots maybe can be open, like can be lots of people coming and maybe others are, uh, are more closed that the people already know who's there, depending maybe on personality or the time of day. A sense of calling to a slot. So what's really exciting is, um, I'll give one recent example, is, is Charlie and Andrew feel a call to build a slot for eight to 18 year olds called Worship Lab to learn how to worship Jesus, which I think is gonna be moving to five to 6 p.m. That slot so that people have time after school to be able and after study to be able to come and join in the first Tuesday of every month. And that, that started last month and there's just a real sense of God moving in that generation and moving in the, in the prophetic for them. So really encouraging timing to have Worship Lab once a month where eight to 18 year olds can learn together with Andrew and Charlie and I think Lucy and Ruby there as well, how to worship God with of course taste as well, which is really important. So I think that that's where we've come to. And I feel a sense moving forward into 2022, a couple of things. Firstly, ambitious to, to continue to press into raising prayer at Hope. I feel it is one of our four dreams. I don't think that's an accident. I think it is appointed for us to be able to push into that more. So I'd love to raise our cords to now doing 12 months of the year, every month. So, so if someone wants to do it, they, they host a slot for the 12 months, are fully released at the end if they want to step up for another year or not. And obviously within that 12 months could have other trusted friends in, in the community and beyond to cover that slot. Or if they're ill or on holiday, we have a very flexible approach. If people can't do it, they can't do it. It's, it, the, you know, we, we're in it for the long haul. But we want to push into doing that 12 months of the year. And of course, with Zoom, even if we're away, we can connect back in and do it online where before it might have been a bit harder if we were away. But also the sense I have is I want it is an increased sense of fresh ownership from the body. We have um, quite a lot of people who are new to Hope this year, which is really, really exciting. And I know even today I've spoken to a couple of people who said to me they feel called to prayer, which is amazing, who are, uh, who are, have become part of the community recently. And so I feel like there's a fresh wave and a fresh energy to, to build into One Church One Day going forward and, and prayer generally at Hope in 2022 and particularly seeing miracles as well. So what I want to do on Sunday, for those of you who've listened to this podcast by Sunday, is actually press into some, some questions which where we will hopefully hear God as a community together to get that sense of corporate ownership of what he's speaking to us about questions I genuinely don't know the answer for. I feel a sense of ambition and raising and pressing into prayer more doing 12 months. But the but the sense, the other sense I get really is, is, is to invite us all to hear God together. And I'm going to read out the questions now and we'll do them again in the second half on Sunday. What does it look like to make hope a place of prayer for the city? It's something I'd love us to hear from God. Those of us who are listening to this before Sunday, maybe you can start to listen to him in preparation for Sunday. What does it look like to be all in to raising prayer in our homes and in hope? So that sense of wholeheartedness and devotion uh, uh, like the Acts 2 church showed. What might be preventing us from being all in? Often I found, certainly you might have heard a few examples as I've told my story of different lies I was believing that was preventing me from being all in. 
and what aspect of prayer is God getting my attention on? You know, there are so many ways we pray. We can sometimes command with authority. Sometimes we can ask for things. There are a whole different things. Sometimes it's about being in union with God and experiencing intimacy. So many different aspects. What aspect of prayer is God getting my attention on and also our attention corporately on as a community? And, and finally, am I or are we drawn to any aspect of One Church One Day in 2022? So there are some questions for us to sit on. I genuinely want us to be asking God. I genuinely want um, increased shared ownership of this, just as I kind of didn't think I, it was particularly to do with me back in autumn 2018. And suddenly I had a revelation that it was. So I would love that across the board at Hope, that kind of revelation that this is this is a thing that God's given for us to do. The, the command is pray continually. We can do it any way we like. We're free to do it any way we like, but this is an amazing invitation and way to do it. So that's what I would love to press into, to hear God for the monthly rhythm of prayer at Hope, and also to hear God generally for what it looks like to raise hope as a place of prayer in the city. Bless us all as we're on that journey to hear his voice for us. We want to be led by the Spirit. I'm going to finish with a picture I had at the beginning of Circle Time last Sunday. Sunday just gone where it was a merry-go-round of horses going up and down. Sort of those plastic horses at a fairy, uh, fairground ride. And then the horses were sort of breaking off into wild, fast strong free horses with with people on their back and I felt like that was a great analogy of kind of two ways to do faith two ways to um, sort of follow Jesus which is one's kind of set you know what's going to happen it's safe we're not going to fall off we pay our money and we go up and down on a merry-go-round and it's the same thing each time or we kind of risk that adventure of intimacy of God of hearing his voice it's wild it's free it's on a horse we can it feels like we could easily get injured, but it's kind of how horses and humans are designed to be. So I bless us all to enter into that adventure of faith coming to the end of 2021 and into 2022.